Bonjour and bienvenue to Battle Royale, where we are passing judgment on all the kings and the emperors of France, from Clovis to Napoleon the Third. Don't know what accent that was. <laughs> yeah, I was actually like, am I meant to use accent? I'll be like, who will be sorted to the la crème and who will be sent to the guillotine? I don't know what that last word of guillotine was. Les poissons, les poissons. Hee, hee, hee. Ha, ha, ha. I don't care about part of your world. That is the best song from the Little Mermaid. <laughs> okay, good. I was like, I was about to say you sound like the chef from Little Mermaid, so. That, that's it. He sings a song called Les Poissons, meaning fish. I remember <laughs> that. I just remember him running around trying to kill the crab. Yeah, that's what he's singing while he's doing that. And he's like, give it a slice. <laughs> yeah, but I just remember the part where he's actually chasing the crab. Being like, die! Yeah. Anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah. Uh, Je m'appelle Ben Clark. And I'm Eliza Summers. And today we are continuing through the chaotic reigns of the sons of Philip the Fourth. Yay. With Philip V. Mm-hmm. His, uh, his middle child and his namesake. Hmm. Let's just get straight into his life then. Let's yes. get into it. Philip V was born around 1293 in the city of Lyon mm-hmm. in the southeast of France, mm-hmm. which by the time of his father, Philip IV, was within the royal domain. Nice. It's, it's kind of like the royal capital in the south. Um, mm-hmm. And his father, of course, was the king of France and his mother, Joan I, was the queen of Navarre. Mm-hmm. So Philip's younger brother was known as Charles the Fair, while he was known as Philip the Tall. Uh, so I'll probably use that inter- interchangeably throughout the episode. It'd be and, funny um, if he wasn't tall. Well, no, he was tall. <laughs> Don't worry, it's it's a real epithet. So he was meant to be exceptionally lanky and slender, even for a Capetian. And this is a gene that has been passed down from Eleanor of Aquitaine uh, to the royal families of England and France. The slender tallness. And the fairness as well. They're all nice and blonde. Philip would have had a very similar upbringing to his elder brother, Louis X, maybe with a bit less tennis, though, a bit more actual education. <laughs> because Philip the Tall uh, took after his shrewd father, Philip IV, mm. then more than their brash uncle, Charles of Valois. Yeah. And uh, Philip was recognized from an early age as the most prudent and emotionally intelligent of the three brothers. Mm. So he's got. You know, he's got promise, it does, the, does the middle boy. Um, and as the middle of three boys, you know, I had a lot of promise as well growing up. And now but I do. What happened? <laughs> Joking. And what happened? Uh, I never had any promises as a middle child because I was the only girl. So they were like, as long as you're happy. It's okay for you to become a spinster. You don't have to pr- provide for the family. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's great. So as a boy, mm-hmm. Philip watched his elder brother Louis ascend to the throne of Navarre after the death of their mother Joan, mm. sadly. Meanwhile, the younger sons were given sort of uh, appanages as their inheritance. If you remember what an appanage is, it's like a, you know, it's a grant of 
land, land that if if the lion sort of dies out, um, it reverts back to the royal domain. So yeah. it's it's given in the grant in the in the gift of the king. Yeah. And Philip IV was very careful to make his younger son's appendages very small hmm. um, so that they wouldn't rise up to challenge their brother. Mm. So Philip the Tall receives the county of Poitiers and Charles the Fair got the county of La Marche, mm. both of which were taken from English control about a century ago. They used to be part of uh, Aquitaine, yeah, which is now shrunk. <laughs> so along with their nearby appendages, Philip and Charles were also given two sisters to marry. Yeah. Uh, Joan and Blanche of other Burgundy. Remember, mm. there are two Burgundies. Mm-hmm. So they were the daughters and heiresses of Otto, Count of Burgundy, and Mao of the mm. Countess of Artois. So both their parents have, have titles yes. and are very powerful nobles. Yes. Joan in particular, Philip's wife, was set to inherit vast tracts of land to the east of France and up in Artois because she's, nice. she doesn't have any living brothers, so she becomes the heiress. Mm. So Joan and Blanche joined their sister-in-law, Louis's wife, Margaret of proper Burgundy, uh, at court. Yeah. Where the three of them become embroiled in the Tour de Nelle affair, of course. Scandal! And as we covered in Louis X's episode, all three of them were accused of adultery with the Aulnay brothers. Philip stuck by his wife. Yeah, their, their heads were shaved and they were imprisoned at Chateau Gaillard, while the brothers themselves... Uh, the Ornay brothers receive uh, gruesome executions at Pontoise. However, as you as you say, while the eldest wife, Margaret, and the youngest, Blanche, were found guilty of adultery and rejected by her husbands, who then demanded annulments, mm. Philip the Tall stood by his own wife, Joan, who was um, exonerated of the charges because uh, the confession of the Ornay brothers had revealed that she had not participated in the affair itself. She had merely Covered helped it to conceal it. Yeah, so Joan was, you know, punished the same as the others. She, she had her head shaved and she was imprisoned, but she got released quite quickly. Yeah. A lot of this was probably because of the grand inheritance that Joan represented with yeah. Artois and the County of Burgundy. Yeah. So, may not have been love, may have been lust for power from Philip at all, but yeah. Again, we'll never know. Yeah. Well, we know she survived. But yeah, Philip at all was by far the luckiest in love of the three brothers. Of course, we know that Louis X's wife was potentially murdered in Chateau Gaillard, mm-hmm. and his second wife was still pregnant when he died, as mm. their, their relationship hadn't lasted long. Meanwhile, Charles the Fair, the youngest brother, will struggle for years to get a divorce from Blanche mm. and send her to a nunnery. And uh, he'll be married two more times with mixed results. Ooh. Uh, but that's a long story that we don't have time for. Oh. But yeah, but yeah, uh, Charles Affair is struggling in his marriages as well. But Philip and Joan, they resume what we can presume to be a, a relatively happy marriage based on the number of children they have. Mm. So Joan was actually a little older than Philip. Uh, when they'd gotten married, Philip had been 14, while Joan had been 20. Oh, damn. Um, She's the cougar. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, well, well, Joan had actually been previously intended to marry Louis X, which would have been a more age-appropriate yeah. option. Um, but Margaret of Burgundy ended up taking precedence. Uh, mm. But I think Joan sort of dodged a bullet there. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. Yeah, because they are both now dead of, of suspicious circumstances. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so before the Tour de Nell affair, Joan has given Philip four daughters. Oh. And then after the Tour de Nell mm-hmm. affair, she gives birth to a son. Oh. 
So she gives birth to this son in June 1316, mm-hmm. just after the death of, of Louis X. Mm-hmm. And uh, she names him... Louis Philip. Both. She names him Philip Louis. Oh. Technically, <laughs> I was correct. Philip for his father and grandfather, and Louis for his uncle who's just died. So okay. they're like, let's just throw in both names. <laughs> it's unclear if he was called Philip Louis or if he was just reported by some sources as being called Philip, reported by others as being called Louis. But at this stage, we're just going to call him Philip Louis. Yeah. So we know what happens next, mm-hmm. obviously, because mm-hmm. I had to fill up last episode talking about it. So both Philip the Tall and Charles the Fair are, are away from court when Louis X dies. Philip has led a French delegation to Avignon, where they were tasked with meddling in the election of the new Pope, which has gone on for way too long. Then after accompanying the new French Pope, John XXII, to Lyon, uh, where he is crowned, the two brothers make haste back to Paris. Who crowns the Pope? I think, like, a couple cardinals do it. Yeah. Because the, the cardinals choose the Pope. Yeah. But I don't. I honestly didn't look that up. <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> who crowns this particular Pope. Uh, but yeah, so Philip the Tall makes haste back to Paris and very decisively seizes the reins of power from his squabbling uncles, the Counts of Valois and Evreux. Mm. So by the time John I is born... <sighs> and dies five days later in November 1316. Philip is the undisputed regent of France by this time, and it's very easy for him to claim both France and Navarre as his own, despite the competing claim of Louis's four-year-old daughter, Joan, little Joan, Mm, Jeanette. Little Joanie. Who arguably has a much better claim. But it's a woman. A, it's a woman, and and B, her. If you remember, her legitimacy was legitimacy was questioned. Yeah, yeah, might be the because because of the Tourdenelle affair, and Margaret had been accused of adultery up to three years before she was found out. During which time Joan was born, might be a love child. People had questions, and you know she may have looked like her dad, but also her parents were closely related. So. <laughs> They were yeah. like second cousins. So it's like, of course she looks like her dad. She's his cousin. She's her dad's cousin. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, so, so creepy. So little Joan, uh, th- there are too many difficulties around like this little girl. Yeah. So Philip was like, just let me be king. <laughs> we could sort this out later. Yeah, she probably had a bit of time not being queen. Uh, the French will eventually retroactively justify this move and make it so that not only... Can a woman not succeed to the throne of France? But also the throne cannot pass through a woman. Hmm. And this will be very upsetting for Isabella of France, um, the yeah. sister of these brothers, who has a son who now who becomes il- ineligible to inherit the throne, which is partially because he's the king of England and they don't want that merger to happen. Yeah. But we'll yeah. get to that in a, in a lot more detail in the future. So Philip the, the Tall, uh, now Philip V, had himself quickly declared king. Uh, so he's now Philip V of France and Philip II of Navarre as well. Because mm. um, mm. his father, Philip IV, was Philip I of Navarre. Yeah. But yeah, there were there was definitely opposition to Philip V acceding to the throne. So Joan's uncle on her mother's side was Duke mm-hmm. Odo IV of Burgundy. Um, yeah. A very powerful lord of France. And he did try to fight her corner. But he was the only great prince of France to do so. Um, and he was in and the probably minority. Probably really out of love. It was more out of wanting power. More out of, himself. yeah. 
Exactly. Charles of Valois is, of course, one of the main supporters of Philip V's pro-male succession policies, as it means Charles oh, is, is actually next in line to the throne, should anything happen to the descendants of Philip IV. So Charles is still very much the leader of like the old conservative party in France, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Like the, the princes, yeah. He's kind of mm. their representative at the royal court. So another of the most powerful lords in France, alongside Charles of Valois, is not a lord, but a lady, Mao, uh, Philip V's mother-in-law. And uh, she's basically ruling both Artois, which is hers, and also the other Burgundy, which Joan can't really rule because she's um, the queen in Paris. Yeah. She has a lot of queenly duties to get to. Similar to how Joan of Navarre's uh, Didn't mother. really rule Navarre. Well, Joan of Navarre's mother ruled Champagne while she was busy queening in Paris. Oh, yeah. Yeah, remember that. Yeah. Um, it's similar to that situation where, like, Joan will probably get it more, like, after Mao is dead. But for now, yeah. Mao is just, like, taking the reins a bit. Yeah, keeping the fam too. Yeah. So Mao was frequently cha- challenged during this period by her nephew, Robert, uh, because mm. she had usurped Artois from him. Oh, yeah. So now that Mo is the new King of France's mother-in-law, Robert has a very uphill battle trying to get his county back. Yeah. Um, like, it was seized when he was a child, but now he is a very, like, he's an older, like, more robust, like, knight. And uh, he has, like, the muscle to, to get it back. He does manage to seize Artois in 1317 on the back of opposition against Philip and Mao in Flanders and Burgundy. Remember, Artois is very close nice. to Flanders. Yeah. So there's a bit of chaos happening in that area. But Robert didn't hold Artois for long, and Mao soon got it back. What, with help from Philip? Well, with help from Philip, because Philip is busy making peace with, with Burgundy and with Flanders. So he makes peace with Burgundy by betrothing his eldest daughter to the Duke, to Odo oh. Handy having so many daughters. Exactly. Philip also made peace with Flanders using another daughter. See? <laughs> yeah. So remember that remember that Louis X had led an invasion of Flanders that kind of went nowhere because Flanders was mm. like really badly flooded at the time. I can't build a tennis court in this in this bog. <laughs> I'm going home. Yeah, the the famine, which is actually known as the Great Famine, um, it hasn't Ooh. done either France or Flanders any favors. So now they're just tired. They're both just tired. And the Pope intervenes to help like, quell the hostility between France and Flanders. So Philip V and the Count of Flanders come to an agreement. Count of Flanders does homage. And Philip gives away his second daughter to the heir to Flanders, who, who is the Count of, of Nevers. So that's all wrapped up in a, in a, in a nice little bow there. Although yeah. there will be huge problems in Flanders in the future, but... We'll get to that. Uh, not so, a now problem. Not a now problem. So despite these political squabbles, uh, un, uh, under Philip V's rule, things at first look like they're about to stabilise. So in 1317, the Great Famine begins to subside, Ooh. and France has a seemingly competent king in his early 20s who has already started cultivating a good relationship with the Pope. Because remember, he was he basically helped ensure puppet. the Pope's election. He's not. He's not a puppet Pope. No, uh, no, no, John the no. John the twenty second is a very decisive and strong. Pope. Oh, okay, but oh, okay, he needed some help to get there. But because he became pope in part thanks to Philip, has some loyalty. They have a yeah, they have a a, a, a good relation. The France and the papacy are back on like a, a good stable relationship where they're not slapping each other. Oh, even though that was so fun. However, there is no escape 
from the Curse of the Templars. Unfortunately, the curse is now going to fall on Philip Louis, the baby boy. No! He dies Aww. on the 24th of February, 1317, aged eight months old. Aww. Probably of the chills. And for unknown reasons, Queen Joan seems unable to conceive another child. Oh no. Queen Joan is done having babies. Oh no. So getting rid of. So there's a huge irony here. Philip V has just declared that the throne of France can't pass through the female line, yet now he's stuck with four daughters. So the heir is now his brother, Charles the Fair. Is he going to divorce Joan? Well, no, he actually stays with Joan. Oh. But we'll 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 come around to it. But yeah, a few years pass basically, and uh, meanwhile, as Philip starts getting into the nitty gritty details of ruling France. He proves to be maybe not quite as competent a king as he first appeared. Or at least there are some complications happening as France slowly recovers from the famine. And Philip tries to do a number of reforms. Tries to stop inflation by fixing prices, for instance. And because, you know, the modern study of economics doesn't exist in 14th century (laughs) France. They didn't really understand inflation. And that, like, fixing prices is, like, kind of deadly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so it's like it's it's a it's a poorly informed policy. I don't understand economics very well, but I'm told yeah. that it was very poorly informed. This economic policy doesn't go well at all. It basically kneecaps the French economy just as it was trying to heal after the famine. Grand. Grand. As a result of the financial crisis, there was lasting unrest throughout the kingdom. But people weren't finding economic solutions to economic problems. Instead, they were turning to increasingly fanatical forms of Christianity. Of course. So, because this is the Middle Ages, after all, if things are going wrong, it can't be because of fixable man-made problems. It must be because God is punishing us for our sins. Or it's the work of the devil. So, we've got to get rid of the sinners, because they're causing all of the bad things to happen by sinning. And I assume it's the Jews. They always blame the Jews. Yeah. The unrest throughout France culminated in an uprising of the pastoreau, the crusading shepherds, who we've met before. Um, yes. So they so they rise up in 1320, and this is the second rising of the pastoreau. The last one happened nearly a century ago in, in Blanche of Castile's episode, when um, oh, yeah. tens of thousands of peasants marched on Paris with the intention of launching the shepherds' crusade, but they never made it out of France. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they killed a lot of Jewish people in the process. Oh. Yeah. So this time, uh, they're even more violent, and they have one goal in Mm. mind, and that's to destroy France's Jewish population once and for all. And this time, they're also more directly rebelling against the king, as both Louis X and Philip V made it royal policy to protect the Jewish moneylenders. The pastoreaux and other fanatics like them throughout France are also convinced of a conspiracy theory uh, the blood libel, as I mentioned in Louis X's episode, mm. where, you know, uh, Jews, like, kidnapping Christian children and, like, performing, like, dark rituals oh, yeah. on them. But there's also another conspiracy theory that lepers hired by Spanish Muslims are poisoning <laughs> wells throughout France <laughs> by, like, I don't know, like... like well, having a bath in them. Yeah, having baths in the wells or, like, shaving off their scabs into the wells um, throughout France Ew. in order to spread leprosy and kill all Christians. Because there's that many lepers. Yeah, exactly. So this angry mob 
is also targeting poor sick lepers as well, lynching them throughout oh. both northern and southern France. Those yeah. poor lepers are just dying yeah. already. So Philip dealt with this issue rather feebly, I have to say. Mm. Um, he issued fines against those who joined the Shepherd's Crusade, and he spoke out against the murder of Jews and lepers, but he didn't issue any harsh punishments to the perpetrators of these crimes. Uh, mm. Like, it, they weren't charged like in the same way they would have been charged with murdering Christians. Mm. So it was almost tacitly endorsing the idea that, like, lepers and, and Jewish people are, like, subhuman. To blame. Or, like, they aren't worth, you know, it's not worth punishing people yeah. for killing them. It's like killing an animal. Yeah. Yeah. Which is horrific. Mm. Yeah. So the pastoro went a bit too far. Uh, when they marched on Paris, uh, calling Ooh. for an end to taxes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, they started abusing uh, the king's agents who were sent to reason with them, including one prevot who was thrown down a flight of stairs. Um, Ouch. Was he killed? So this Ooh. is a high-ranking official. I yeah. I don't think he was killed, but he was, you know, Severely injured. injured. He, this is like the king's like direct agent, so like it is a big yeah. deal. representative of the king, yeah. Yeah. So eventually, the pastoro get broken up and they get like mass executed. Uh, the ones that are Ooh. still behind the movement after after they get broken up. So that's fun. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, mil- militarized zealotry was becoming a huge problem throughout Europe. Um, as far away as the Byzantine Empire, which if you listen to House Rankian, mm. they're also dealing with zealots in their, like, civil wars, causing trouble and, like, seizing cities and that sort of thing. Yeah. As the climate change was happening with the, the cooling period, and as unstable governments failed their people during the famines, uh, mm. the downtrodden and largely uneducated populace turned to dogmatic preachers to solve their problems, in the process yeah, ignoring... The ways that they could effectively manage the crisis sounds a little bit familiar, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. In modern times, and people ignoring climate change in favor of terrible conspiracy theories that harm minorities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as if the kingdom didn't have enough religious fanaticism, Philip V is a fervent supporter of crusades. Ah! No. <laughs> we thought we yeah, thought we'd seen the back that. of them. <laughs> oh, now, I thought we've done with those. France does not have the money for a crusade. Yeah, that, that is exactly the problem that Philip runs into. He do, he's not going to actually go on a crusade himself, but he oh, uh, but he supports various lords on their own crusade, but still arguably to the detriment of France's military resources. Hmm. We didn't mention it in Philip the Fourth's episode. But he actually sort of did swear to lead a crusade towards the very end of his life in 1313. There was a lot going on, though, so we didn't oh. get around to talking about it. But yeah. as part of his deal with Pope Clement V to bring down the Templars, Philip IV was like, okay, I'll take the cross, and my sons will also take the cross. So we'll, pla- we'll, we'll promise to eventually do a crusade, oh, okay. basically. But yeah, One Philip day. IV never ended up going. Because bad. But yeah, his sons had also sworn. So Philip V intended to make good on, on his promise eventually <laughs> hopefully break the Templars curse so the destination of the next crusade was supposed to be armenia 
uh, which is very far away. Um, this is a, a Christian country <laughs> suffering under Turkish rule, basically. I... But this crusade, initially led by Count Louis of Clermont, uh, failed miserably, of course. Uh, of course. He made it as far as Genoa in Italy uh, in uh, 1319. <laughs> That's so far. Yeah, only to run into a force of anti-papal Ghibellines. Uh, who destroyed both their fleet and their army, forcing the survivors to return to France in shame. Yeah. So, uh, of course. Sorry, Clermont, your crusade does not go well. Uh, meanwhile, Philip V struggles to scrape together the money to finance his own crusade. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, he doesn't end up getting enough funds for it. That being said, despite all of the, pro- the poverty, the instability, and the violence throughout the kingdom, Philip V's own political situation remains fairly secure, especially after the pastoreau are sort of dealt with. Um, And he was personally very popular among the people and his nobles, the ones that weren't crazy religious fanatics, Um, (laughs) especially now that he'd used his rapport with the Pope and the marriages of his daughters to help create alliances to stabilize things. Mm. He also, and you're going to like this, um, he also ensured that Joan, despite being usurped, uh, Jeanette, the little one, um, mm-hmm. He ensured that she got an extremely generous fortune of fifteen thousand pounds. Mm, nice, as well as allowing her to inherit the county of Champagne from her father. Mm, nice. Yeah, so she's now Countess Joan II of Champagne. She grows up in the in the lap of luxury. You'll be pleased to know. Good. Philip's got his 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 ducks quite nicely in a row. He's ready to to move on to to bigger and better things. To to impose some sweeping reforms to finally fix France. Hmm. But sadly, in August 1320, Philip was on progress through Western France when he was struck by what I've seen described as a wasting sickness. Oh, what's that? This could be tuberculosis, could be chronic diarrhea, or it could maybe be our old friend dysentery. Um, Imagine that song going, oh, how did you die? And you go, oh, chronic diarrhea. Yeah. I looked up various wasting sicknesses to figure out what this might have been. It could also have been the result of some kind of eating disorder, um, which would also maybe explain the slender frame of of, of Philip, Philip the Tall. Um, Mm. But whatever it was, it saw Philip's health decline rapidly over the next few months after August 1320. He returned home to Paris, where he was put in the care of the nuns of Longchamp Abbey, a large convent founded by Saint Isabella of France, the sister of Louis IX. Uh. And uh, staying within the vicinity of Paris, Philip did move around between Longchamp, uh, his brother Charles's place at Cressy-en-Brie, and the Royal Hunting Lodge at Vincennes. And there at Vincennes, uh, the same place where Louis X had died playing tennis, Philip died... Of his wasting sickness on the 3rd of January, 1322, um, in the same place where Louis X had died. That place cursed. So he clung on for like a year and a bit. Um, Oh God, what a way to go. But yeah, Philip V was about 28 years old when he died. Oh gosh. And he was buried in Saint-Denis four days after his death. Joining uh, yeah. his 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 poor baby baby nephew, John the mm. First. Curse of the Templars. <laughs> yeah, claims another victim. Yeah. So once again, the throne, crown of France skips over all of the female claimants and is handed to Philip's brother Charles the Fair, who now becomes King Charles the Fourth. 
So it's yeah. the runt of the litter has now succeeded to the throne. In a position he never thought he'd have. Yeah. So Charles IV has, um, at this stage, no sons. He is the last in the direct line of the Capetians. Damn. Yeah. Regrets over creating that women's law. We'll see if he gets to cling on for a bit longer. We'll see if he has sons. We'll see how long he lasts next episode. And we'll see if he can impose some of the reforms that Philip was planning. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Hmm. But let's just say Charles IV is not the brightest lily in the bouquet. (laughs) Never heard that analogy before. Well, I'm using lily because it's the flower of France, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so meanwhile, uh, Philip's wife, Joan, lived another few years, dying at the age of 43. Aww. And by this point, she had become Countess of Artois and was able to pass it along with other Burgundy to her daughters. So Mo uh, oh, cool. dies a few years later, but Mo, Mo clings on a bit longer. Yeah, so that's the life of Philip V. So okay. let's move on to Enchanté. Enchanté. So here is a 19th century portrait of Philip by, by Charles Alex- Alexandre de Bac. And uh, this is this is the portrait. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. He looks like a frog. <laughs> well, he is a frog. He's French. <laughs> um describe, describe this man. Uh, so he's like staring straight ahead at the um, yeah painter. It's front on. I guess you'd say. Yeah, he's got a very big crown. Probably like nearly half his like like if you put it against his face, yeah, he's got a like crown that's like bigger than his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's holding um scepter. Looks like there's two little wings on it. It's mm. got the traditional, you know cloak and stuff he's got a massive hand almost looks detached from the rest of his body like it is a weird is it that massive? but then it's the, a normal size okay hand. it seems i don't know it feels bigger compared to his like thin thin neck yeah he has a very thin neck i think that's, the thin neck is meant to show like how like tall and slender he is i guess yeah no but it makes his arm his hand look really big to me mm. and you you won't be surprised that this is based on a tomb effigy um uh, Although I couldn't find a good, I couldn't find a high resolution picture of it of the effigy, but yeah, it's, in his it's face, it's got like ooh, has not slept enough. Yeah, no, he's he got, got big bags, bags under his eyes. He looks like he is prematurely aging in his in his mid twenties, definitely. Yeah, he looks like he's about, he does look like he's about to drop dead. Yeah, <laughs> he's wasting away. Um, we also have a a coronation depiction of him from an illuminated manuscript. Actually, we have a couple of these. Um, nice. So here we have Philip looking very sort of concerned <laughs> at his coronation. He's probably going, God, please, the curse. Don't act up. <laughs> and he's sitting in Dagobert's chair once again. Yes. Yeah, we love to see it. Surrounded by ghouly looking priests. Yeah, yeah, they do look a bit creepy in the background there because you can't see yeah, the. This is like a cropped image, but they, they're just like, like lurking the in, face. The, in the background. Um, and then we have another image, which is another coronation one. But you'll notice in this one, there's a little figure in the bottom left. Yeah, God, is that meant to be John? That's John. 
Oh God! Little baby John is there. It is a bit morbid to be seeing all. Yeah, it's what came before is John, and now we've got Philip. Uh, yeah, so no one after. And he once again looks a bit um, anxious in in this depiction. Yes. Probably it's because he's got a dead person there. He's got a dead baby ghost at his coronation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why. He's the only one who can see it. And he's like, oh, God. Yeah. It's the so that is, that, those are the, the, the depictions that I could find of, of Philip the uh, Fifth. Mm-hmm. More enchanté stuff. His epithet is very straightforward. He's called Philip the Tall because yeah. he was very tall. Of Philippe Le Long in French. I wonder what his actual height is, like what the French justify as tall. Mm. So that's Enchanté. What do we want to give him? Mm, it's not great. So he's not around for enough time to have a really lasting legacy. Yeah. Apart from being like another piece in the puzzle of a, of a crumbling dynasty. <laughs> True. I really want to know how tall he was. I imagine he was definitely above six foot. I mean, the idea of people being shorter back then is kind of a myth. Um... Yeah, I never I mean, thought that. Average height was probably shorter, but like, it wasn't it's weird to see bad. like a, a a six foot person walking around. Like, yeah, even though every generation is actually taller. Yeah, that's true, but like, it's not drastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So even like seven hundred years ago, you wouldn't have noticed like a huge difference. Well, obviously, he was the tallest. Yeah, he is the he he has that honor of being the tallest of a famously tall and slender dynasty. They must have been tall. And the Carolingians were similar too. The Charlemagne was meant to be quite tall and lean, so. Mm. True, true. They passed down that. Uh, what do I want to give him? What do I want to give him? It is quite points, meh, guess, isn't it? Yeah. I do like the, some of the details on the portrait. Like, I, I, I like his outfit and I like his crown. I like his scepter. It's a different scepter. So I'm tempted to give him, like, a few points for that. He, he definitely looks better than Louis the Louis the Tenth. Facial wise, they're both equally hideous. They're both <laughs> of the bags. So judgy I am. I love it. Mm, so it's going to be a low score. Yeah. You gave Louis the Tenth a two point five. Okay, it's a bit better than that, so I guess I'll go three. Three. I'm going to give him half a point more for the ghost child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> three point five. Actually, the ghost yeah. child is quite funny. Okay, I'll give him a yeah, four. That's actually. why. So you're going with three point five. Okay, yeah. so for me, he got slightly above Louis the Tenth and John the First. So that is seven point five for Enchanté. Moving on to On Guard. On okay. Guard. So throughout his reign, Philip V tries to sort of strike a balance between his father's policy of consolidating royal power at all costs and his own desire to create harmony and peace throughout the kingdom. So mm. you'll notice he's not being very aggressive and instigating any wars. Um, yeah. like, you know, Louis X did with the Flemish. Uh, but at yeah. the same time, he's not backing down and letting people walk all over him. True, so remember, true, true. Louis X somehow managed to do both those things. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how he got the name Louis Dan, the turbulent. But yeah, Philip V, he does have some difficulty getting Edward II of England to swear homage, which is a thing that Louis the Tenth never managed to do. Well, he did it. Makes him a bit better than Louis. Yeah. Well, Edward the Second is mad that much of Gascony was seized by Philip the Fourth, and he wants it back. Um, yeah. And remember, Edward the Second is the brother-in-law of these brothers because he's married yeah. to Isabella. Yeah. Although Isabella is 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 not happy with her husband <laughs> either. <laughs> At this point, 
Edward II's favorites are the, the Dispenser family, who really like shove Isabella to the side, and like one of them is is uh, the king's lover, and um, uh, yeah, so woman they, or so man, Ed, man. So Edward II was uh more into the, the dudes and uh more into the dangly parts. Well, at his coronation, um, Edward II instead of displaying displaying the queen's uh French coat of arms alongside his, oh, sorry, at their wedding feast, I should say. Instead of displaying the Queen's coat of arms, he displayed the coat of arms of his favourite, uh, Piers Gaveston. Oh, that's such a dog move. I know. Gaveston at this point has been murdered by supporters of, of Queen Isabella. Oh, yeah. Uh, but now there's a new family, the, the, the Dispenser family. Hugh, Hugh Dispenser the Younger is, is, is the lover of Edward II. So, yeah. So I hate she's kings who str- get controlled by their lovers. Makes them seem so weak. So, yeah, Isabella is, is, is struggling with that. But she will appear in France again. She'll come to France next episode and we'll see her get involved in some Ooh. more shenanigans in France. So look forward yeah. to that. Labouche. I told you yeah. she'd stick Labouche around now. for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I say a while, but it hasn't been a while. It's been pretty short time. The last three episodes have been like a period of like six years. So, yeah. So back to like Philip V's dealing with England. He, he eventually uh, managed to meet Edward II in 1320, and Edward II did swear the usual homage. Although Philip yeah. tried to go a bit too far by suggesting that Edward swear an oath of personal loyalty, uh, which is more Ooh. than what had previously been expected of, of the King of England. So he was not happy. So Edward refuses to make the second oath, and he leaves France in a huff. In a huff. Um, <laughs> but again, we 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 see a lot of potential in Philip. Like he's definitely that's the key word though, potential. Potential, yeah. Like maybe he could have brought down the hammer on on England, um, even more if he'd lasted longer. Maybe he could have like won a war against them. But sadly, he we just will never know. We'll never know. Yeah. So overall, and we'll we'll get more into this in Bulevu. But overall, my impression of Philip V is that if he'd had a long reign, it would have been a great one. And he doesn't he doesn't make things worse. He actually kind of stabilizes things in terms of on guard, in terms of like maintaining the power of the king. And he undoes a lot of the damage that Louis X did to that. So he's got a roadmap. It's just that his car gets T-boned right as it leaves the driveway. So <laughs> So uh Yeah. It's like my brother whose first time he had his driving test, he failed it in the last five seconds. It's like that, like that, yeah. Yeah. He failed it as he was pulling into the parking lot of, like, the driving place. Mm-hmm. But this is mm-hmm. kind of the other way around, where Philip... Yeah, he's, did he, at he's, the start. He's, he's studied everything. He's, like, the most prepared for a driving test that anyone will ever be. And then the car just blows up at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Backfired. Yeah. And it's not his fault, but, you know. Also Faulty. can't give him points. So what do we want to give for on guard? Mm. He holds it all together. And then he dies. And then he dies. But he holds it all together. He doesn't make things worse. Which, if he doesn't make things worse and he, he, he keeps things stable and he, like, steadies the ship, I think that's worth quite a few points, to be honest. I think that's, like, in the, a middly a middly score. Not over five, oh, obviously. True. But yeah. middly. Middly between like, zero to five, you mean? Or middly out of ten? Middly out of ten. but But not. Not above five, obviously. If I'll be nice, I'll go four. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking four as well. I just don't really like him. Also, also seizing the throne, I forgot to mention. Seizing the throne was a very decisive thing he did. 
which is good for we we didn't like that he did it obviously because he used Zerk's drone, but it was a good selfish win for him. So I'm even I'm even tempted to go five based on that, but I think I'll stick with four just because we're still seeing a general decline and and, and he doesn't improve things. Stop it. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's I think we'll yeah each of us giving four. I'm, I'm happy with that. Mm. So that's an eight for on guard. Very meh scores so far. Um, He's a meh kind of guy. Getting to Vulivir, we might see some good stuff. Vulivir. So Philip made some Im- important administrative reforms during his reign. He created the Cour de Compte, or the Court of Accounts, which has the, had the job of auditing and advising the financial and accounting decisions of the French government. So it was making sure well, that, that there good. was no, like the books were balanced. There People was no corruption chat. happening. No one was sk- skimming yeah. stuff off the top. Um, so it was well, a very good. good thing. And the Cour de Comte still exists today in the French government. Oh, wow. Yeah, we should, that's definitely a few points. Yeah. Philip V was also less hostile to the church than his father had been, thanks to the new harmony between the king and the Avignon papacy. Philip was the first king of France to get his minister made a cardinal, which is the thing we might see a trend mm. of. So this was Pierre mm-hmm. Bertrand, who uh, advocated for the rights of the church, Without going overboard into extremism, yeah. so like he Good. was kind of pro Striking the whole the Boniface the Eighth of like papal supremacy and that sort of thing, but he didn't go too far and get slapped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he knew when to back down. Yeah, along the way, Bertrand, um, who's like kind of kind of the first minister, he founded loads of charities and, and university colleges as well, so like with the with Hi. the church money. So that's good too. That's helping France. Philip spent his brief reign uh, drafting something that became known as his grand design. This was like a huge Ooh. set of major reforms to get France back on track after the Great Famine and to make their prosperity more sustainable in the future. So the grand design. It was not a sh- a show about uh, classy British houses. Um, <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, it was a it was a set of reforms. However, uh, his reign proved far too short for him to raise enough money to enact the grand design. Yeah, this sounds like such an evil title, the grand design. The grand design. No, but it's it's generally it's like good. a villain's name. So the grand like design would have uh, made improvements to defensive militias. It uh, would have um, helped the king assume more control over coins and like like minting coins. And like giving the coinage mm. of France a sort of universal standard, nice. so making sure everyone's using the same currency with the king's face on it, and it made taxes more regular and reliable. Right, because until now taxes have been like considered a kind of Sporadic. emergency measure, almost. It's like something that the king raises if he like needs to go to war or something. He'll raise a tax. Oh, okay. Um, so it's like it's more an event than just like something that happens just annually, you know. Mm. Um, so Philip is trying to make it more of a regular thing where people have to pay less Tiny over bit. a longer period of time rather than just getting extorted. Then over, pay a huge like, amount. In like yeah. random, yeah, random times, yeah. And another problem was with this was, was whenever the king raised an army and went to war, if that war didn't end up going anywhere or like yielding anything, he had to give all the money that he used to raise the troops back to whoever he taxed. So it was a net loss for the crown. Yeah. Which is not fun. Um, and yeah. it was part of the reason that the crown had lost so much money. So part of uh, part of centralizing the coinage meant stopping the nobility from minting coins in their name. Mm. And Charles of Valois quite, got quite upset with this because there were a lot of coins around <laughs> with his face on them. I'm guessing he liked that. 
He liked that, yeah. Oh, of course. But they were suddenly seen as unsound and not legal tender anymore because a lot of the other nobles were giving in and um, making it so that the king's currency was the main currency throughout France. only currency. Yeah. But again, this didn't go very far and very little of Philip's reforms were actually enacted. He'll leave his grand design all written down for his brother, Charles IV. To hopefully follow. Mm. (laughs) He just leaves like a big stack of paper with like post-it notes on it like on Charles' like, death. just follow this as he's about to die he's like you don't need to do anything and spoiler alert it it, it gathers dust on the desk oh, yeah. of also in the negative for Vulevu uh Philip V continues the Capetian tradition of screwing over the Jewish community not only mm-hmm. does he fail to prevent violence against the Jews and and the lepers as well as we mentioned but he also used a new tax to squeeze more money out of the Jewish communities. He did rescind this tax, but only after he made a profit and he didn't give the money back. Of course. So the damage had kind of been done already. But um, yeah, and where did that money go? It went into the crusading hole, probably. <laughs> probably. Always goes into the crusading hole. So yeah, that's what I've got for Vulevu. Um, In terms of like his family, Philip V is generally... A- quite good as a father and husband. We'll see a bit more of that explained in, in Love Beyond Throne. But out of the brothers, he's definitely the the best as like a family person. We'll get into this in La La, but he's not a very scandalous person. Hmm. Um, okay. but yeah, what do we want to give for Vulevu? He's generally like a good guy who really tries to do good things. He's grown on me in this last section. Yeah, but he's okay, just... a bit. He's in a rough spot and he's dies <laughs> mm. yeah but you can see him trying really hard like working really hard yeah but, you know sometimes you can try your best and your best isn't good enough true which is a sad depressing fact of life yeah i'm tempted to go above five but just narrowly above five yeah, yeah. like maybe a six I'm thinking of five aiming for great reform at least but he dies so hmm and it does enact some things on the way to that great reform that are good, but then there's other stuff that are good. detrimental that just pull them down again. Yeah. So yeah, five and a six. So that's 11 for Bully yep. And then we get to Love V. No, not Love V. Sorry. Then we get to Ooh La La. Ooh La La. Again, I said that, I said that Philip V is not a very scandalous man, but um, whatever way you slice it, Philip V definitely <laughs> illegally usurped the throne. Yeah. Not only of France, but of Navarre. So he usurped two thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, the legal justification for his doing so is not made until actually after his death, really. Um, When Charles has to, like, reinforce his succession. (laughs) That's about it, though. It's not a suspicious death. He's not involved in any kind of murder or skullduggery. Too bad. Even the Tour de Nelle affair, he's he's much more distant from and uh, comes out looking a lot better from. Yeah. Yeah. His brother. Yeah. Okay. Well, usurping, will, I definitely feel it deserves a few points. Yeah. Pretty major. I think like a three or four. Yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking around I'm going to go four. Two points for okay. each. For each one he usurped. What do you mean who? He only usurped one person. Yeah, but he got two crowns from it. Oh, right. <laughs> um, I'm going to give him a three. I don't think it's worth that much. 
Um, and also I gave him a point for I feel as though he murdered his nephew. Okay, I don't feel as though he was involved in, in the murders. Um, I do. Like, he was the regent at the time, but he was the regent and the heir, which is always a very dodgy thing. But uh, I, there's just no evidence. I know. I just, in my mind. Mm. All right. So that is a seven for Ulala. For, for once, you've been more generous at a round than I have. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, you must be ill. You must um, have the, you must have a, wa- the a wasting a wasting sickness disease. Yes. Yeah. Um, Damn my wasting sickness. So now we're getting into lovey on throne. Lovey on throne. Philip the fifth reigned from the death of poor little John the first on the twentieth of November thirteen sixteen to his own death on the third of January thirteen twenty two of the wasting sickness. So that's five years, one month, and 14 days, which is just short of one one point. It's (laughs) 0.96 points. Damn. So close. He's a very nearly kind of king, isn't he? (laughs) True, true. So let's get into the children now. And uh, his children are are quite interesting. So his children by his only wife, uh, Joan of Other Burgundy, a.k.a. Countess Joan II of Burgundy and Artois. Their first child is Countess Joan III of Burgundy and Artois. Um, Because the names don't get creative. Um, (laughs) She uh, succeeds her mother and marries Duke Odo IV of Burgundy, which actually briefly unites the two Burgundies. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) So she and nice. Odo, um, yeah, it won't be for long, though, because she and Odo, they have one son who sadly dies in his 20s, leaving no grandchildren. Yeah. Uh, so the Aww. Burgundies are split up again when Joan III's Aww. titles went to her younger sister. Mm. So this is the second child, Countess Margaret I of Burgundy and Artois, who is the only sister to make it past her 40s. Uh, she lives to the grand old age of 72. Ooh. She marries Count Louis of Flanders, who was actually raised in the Burgundian region of Nevers, so he's more French than than Flemish. <laughs> um, and the people of Flanders hated this because now they've got uh, <laughs> they're ruled by French people, and they felt they, yeah. you know, you know, deserved an actual Flemish ruler. So we'll see a big peasant yeah. uprising happen there not long after Philip V's death, as I as I, as I teased before, but. But Margaret and Louis managed to pass all their titles onto their son, Louis II. Nice. So now Flanders is united with Artois and other Burgundy. So it's quite a big chunk of oh. France. Yeah. Nice. But this is this is, this is a long time in the future because, again, uh, yeah. Margaret lives to a very old age. So the third daughter of Philip V is named Isabella after the sister. Uh-huh. She doesn't have a fancy title in her own right. She's just a princess, but okay. she does marry Still. a very fancy lord named uh, oh. Guige the Eighth de la Tour du Pin, which <laughs> uh, is a me. brilliant name. Guige, Gui- no, sorry, it's Guig, Guig the Eighth. Guig, what's even Guig. better? Guig. Yeah. G u i g u e s. Guig. Oh, that's something I could name it like a dog or something. Like Guig. Yeah. Actually, a mouse. Mouse. I think it's maybe a form of the name Guy, just a weird, like, southern French form. But yeah, he is he is in the south of France. Uh, he is the Dauphin of Viennois. Oh. <laughs> so he's really a count. 
but the rulers of Viennois were called Dauphins because there is a dolphin oh. on their coat of arms. So he's the dolphin ah. of Viennois. Um, and mm. uh, Guig and Isabella were sadly childless. Um, oh. Isabella quite died quite young and Guig died after that. Oh. Um, oh. And the title of Dauphin went to Guig's brother Humbert, who uh, who died in battle, ending the Viennois oh. dynasty. So oh. the title of Dauphin reverted to the King of France, who then bestowed oh. it on his heir apparent. Oh, so now we'll see the Dauphin. Oh. Yes, and now we're coming up. This is about 40 years in the future uh, from where we are Yay. now. But we Still. are very close to seeing Dauphins. And that, that's this oh, is where it comes cool. from. Yeah. That's really cool. But yeah. So that's covered the first three children of Philip and yep. Joan. The youngest child of Philip V, aside from, you know, the baby who died in infancy, the, the baby son, uh, was named Blanche after Joan's unfortunate mm-hmm. sister, the wife of Charles of Hare, um, the adulteress. Oh, okay. And yeah. the two Blanches ended up sharing a fate by becoming nuns. So Blanche, oh. little Blanche, Blanchette, <laughs> was mm-hmm. uh, sent to a monastery at the age of seven um, because it was considered her duty to help atone for the sins of the aunt whose name she bore, which I think is a little bit unfair. Oh, that's bull. Yeah. <laughs> but the good news uh, is that her parents got a special dispensation from the Pope that allowed them to visit Blanche very regularly. Oh, that's good which normally would have been forbidden. And they actually, Philip and Joan got in trouble a few times for going even further past and visiting Blanche way too often. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it's at least, you know, they kind of compensate. And Blanche ends up being like the favourite child uh, uh, of Philip Mm -hmm. V. And it's possibly also the reason, because Blanche joined the Order of the Poor Clares, who are kind of like female Franciscans. And um, this is the same order that ran ran Longshot Abbey where Philip V was being treated. So Yeah, yeah, I thought. Yeah, it's conceivable that after dear old dad. She was looking after her dad when he was dying. Of the slow wasting sickness. Yeah. So that's that's sweet. He just wanted to be near his favourite. Yeah. So that's four surviving children, four daughters. Okay. Uh, Nice. Joan, Margaret, Isabella, and Blanche. The four names. <laughs> the only four <laughs> names that exist in this time period, apparently. In all of France. Yeah, exactly. Um, apart from Mao, Mao is the only one with an interesting name. Yeah. So yeah, four surviving children giving Philip 6.75 points and a total Vion Throne score of 7.7, adding on the rain score there. Nice. So tallying up the score... Diddling. Diddling. That is 41.2. Okay. Yeah. Not great. It's a very similar score to Philip III, Mm. who was the king between Louis IX and Philip IV. Very, very slightly above. (laughs) Yeah. That's Philip V. Ultimate question. Yeah, now we come to the ultimate question. Is he fascinating enough, entertaining enough, majestic and fabulous and irresistible enough to be released from our dungeon? to go through the Battle Royale tournament, and to be spared the guillotine. Mm, I don't think I can. 
part of me wants to give it to him, but then I oh, then I same. remember that he's the reason that women can't succeed to the throne of France, and then I get angry. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's the definitely die, 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 die. So it's like I personally like him, but I hate what he represents, basically. Yeah. So he has to die. He must die for his sins against yes. women in general. All women in France. <laughs> All women in general. Let us know what you thought. Let us know if you agreed, disagreed, if you were surprised by anything. Yeah, if you um, don't agree with our decision, then obviously you hate women. <laughs> <laughs> in hint. I don't think there are many Philip V fans around out, out there, so um, yeah, I think I think people will generally be in agreement with us. Don't think this is going to be yeah. a controversial decision. But so far, he's he's the best of the sons of Philip IV. We'll see how mm. Charles IV does, but um, he's he mm. was much better than Louis the the tenth. He only got twenty four points. True. Yeah. True. So, so far, he is the best of... A not-so-great brunch. Yeah. <laughs> the best of a bad... Uh... Batch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, only, if only Isabella could have just ruled everything. If only. Yeah. Oh, well. It would have been so fun. But then the kings of England would be king of France. We don't want that, do we? True. Mm. No. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so... Our podcast uh, would not exist. Our podcast would not exist. It would be... It would be We'll be very sure. Rex Factor would have done them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's all for today. Um, okay. Follow us on, on, on all the socials. Let us know what you've yeah. But next we're doing Charles the Fourth, and we will also be doing a special in between the episode on Queen. Um, well, should have been Queen Joan. Yeah. And that is going to be au revoir for me. Goodbye for me. Bye.